all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 354 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the start of mail input episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that there is an SMTP code that is the Simple Mail Transfer Protocol, originally defined in 1982 and updated in 2008, that is used in all of our wonderful email communications. Yes, it's used in Outlook, it's used in Hotmail, it's used in Yahoo and Gmail. And this code that is the start of mail input code is 354. And with that wonderful little bit of random internet email knowledge, I of course am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Chili Tim. Chili Tim. Chili Tim. Tim Chili Tim Tim Chili Tim Tim Chili <laughs> Tim Chili Tim Chili Watch as he eats and regrets eating said chili And yes, he did regret it. He regretted it all the way to the porcelain throne. The great white porcelain god. Do you like chili? Ralph Does your rear end make Ralphing noises? <laughs> Maybe it's the maybe that's the end that makes the sound. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but actually, no. I I I love chili. Um, we went to it was I want to say back in it was around July, I guess. Uh, we went to a chili cook-off that was being put on by my in-laws' church, and it was a I mean a huge chili cook-off. They had probably. 40 something different kinds of chili out there. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty serious. And they had everything from vegan chili all the way to ultra meaty game meat chili to your everyday kind of chili to special recipe chili to chicken chilies to, um, vegetarian chilies. It was, it was great. I mean, there was a lot of good stuff to have there. So I do. I, I like chili. As a matter of fact, just last week, uh, the wife made us her special homemade recipe for chili, which is always fantastic. Now you're you're a Texas man. Yes. And and your wife is a Texas lady. Mm-hmm. Beans or no beans in your chili? We do beans in our chili. Why? It adds <laughs> a good component because okay. See, I think. I think that beans get a bad rap because most people think of beans in like canned chili. Right. And it's just not worth doing that way. But if you have homemade chili, you can control the type and quantity of beans that you put in. Some people, and there's really, for me, there's only two acceptable kinds of beans that you can use. You can use pinto beans or you can use standard red beans. Not kidney beans, standard red beans. If you're not using those, then I would absolutely ask the same question. You, why? Why Why are you doing that? Um, I think that there's a really good texture to be had in really good pinto beans or really good red beans. 
it allows you to get a more thicker filling chili without having to use a ton of meat, which might make it overly heavy because chili is already pretty strong on its own. And we also like to be able to have the option to do the whole uh, Frito pie action as well. And when you have the beans in there as long with the meat, then you get to mix in some sour cream if you want to, or do the cheese in there, maybe get the Frito action. And you just create a really well-balanced, I mean, I guess, mouthfeel uh, texture to it. And it really improves the quality of the chili. But I, but, but I do wholeheartedly love also when people do like really good cubed sirloin steak chilies and stuff like that and and they're just like meat in chili good i mean there is a nice art to creating chili and i'm i mean mm-hmm. i'm not a, opposed to beans i mean i for years i had uh beans in my chili and in fact uh out here i eat a lot of turkey chili because California and uh, you know there's usually a lot of beans in turkey chili but one thing that threw me uh, for a loop there was a chili cook-off at the wife's work and I waited to be one of the last judges just so that I looked maybe a little bit more important and once people found out I was from Texas uh, I I mean it was probably a mix of people thought I was a douchebag or I knew what I was talking about when it came to eating chili and the street cred I mean, it is. It's street cred right there. Oh shit! This guy's from this guy's from Texas. Right. You better bring it. Norma, pick out the beans. Pick out the beans before it gets <laughs> down here. Are they quality pinto beans? Because if not, pick them out. Get, just get rid of them. So I was kind of going down the line of all of the of of the different chili uh, varietals, and more so than not, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, this one lady, how dare she, uh, did a chili mac. So macaroni cheese with chili in it. I, I won't not waste chili. any more time talking about that. That's not chili. It's not chili. Okay. Yeah. It's It's macaroni and cheese with chili components in it. Yeah, That's it's it's a short baking time away from being a casserole, in my opinion. <laughs> there were other uh meat chilies like a pork rib or excuse me, a spare rib chili, which is actually really nice, a couple brisket chilies. Uh, but then you also had a lot of people that overcooked their meat. And I'm not opposed to ground, like, chuck meat chili. That's what I made, actually, Sunday. So I had two days, well, three days, including today, three days chuck full of chili. You know, so some people I made, you know, their chuck chilies with tomato sauce and tomato paste and, you know, clumps of tomatoes. And, you know, they played around the spices and whatnot. And that's usually really good, and I love that. But folks don't really take into consideration the boiling time. You know, it's important to simmer your chili, not to boil your chili, because your meat starts... You don't want it to, like, disintegrate when you put it in your mouth. You know, it starts tasting like a freaking ant mound. Um, Don't ask me how I know that... You know, an ant mound tastes like overcooked chili, but it does. One lady, uh, and she's like, it's like a vegan chili. I'm like, great, okay. There are gorbanzo beans in it. I, I think she knew I didn't really care for it because the little samples you got were in these little tiny cups. I didn't even finish the entire cup. And then I went to the next chili person next, right next to her, and I think I called her out on it a little too loudly to her table mate and oh i knew where i was going um yeah so um i had to use the restroom really bad last night basically my bowels are not where they're supposed to be because of all the chili eating well <laughs> at least you're in tune with your bowels i suppose i suppose there's 
<laughs> There's that. <sighs> so, how are your kids doing? Oh, they're they're doing well. <laughs> they're doing well. It's always a nice segue, maybe, you know. Maybe maybe not as in tune with their bowels as you are, but they did enjoy chili last week. So there's that. They were with you in spirit. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I suppose they they were they've been in tune with their bowels for at least a week. That's right. Yeah, That's so right. they're about four days ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, uh, every, everybody's doing well over here. Uh, we did do the pirate meeting, uh, pirate meeting, sorry, pirate weekend at, uh, the Renaissance Festival up here, uh, or out here or down here, depending on where you are as you listen. And so we did something we hadn't done before. We actually arrived late in the day. We arrived literally around 3.30, 4-ish, in between there somewhere. And we got to see the jousting stuff. But towards the end of the night, the last two things that they do is they have an actual fire show. And then they have a fireworks show. And the fire show is exactly what it sounds like. It's a group of... It's a troupe, a troupe, if you will, of dancers and acrobatics, if acrobats, if you will, who play with fire in various forms and fashions. Uh, you know, sometimes they have like the really big flaming cube. Sometimes they have like these chain whips that are all alight. Um, they did do a couple of flaming sword duels. Um, not really all that good. The choreography is really bad, so it just looked kind of lame. Um, but hey, flaming swords. <laughs> um, some of the stuff was pretty cool. I, the, the biggest problem with the flame thing for me was that while the initial moves in a routine, in any of the given routines that they did, were usually pretty cool, it was pretty clear that these people are, I don't want to say amateurs because that is completely not fair and it is totally not the right image that I want to give you. They are professionals. They do know what they're doing. But let's just say that the skill level was probably about a 7 out of 10. Whereas if you go to, I don't know, if you go to like Vegas, you go to a Cirque du Soleil show, you go to a really big established performance and you'll see someone playing with fire and their routine is like really fast, lightning quick, ultra graceful moves, um, really cool music and stuff. 10 out of 10, right? So these people would do their routine or whatever and the first couple of moves of their routine would look really cool. But then they would just do those same one or two moves for like three and a half minutes. And it's like, so what else are you going to do? And to make it frustrating for me anyway, and maybe other people, I don't know, when they would have a group of people, so like four or five people doing one section, you could tell it was obvious who the really good person was that was holding themselves back so that it wouldn't look out of sync with everybody else. 
And so then I'm just staring at that one guy or that one girl the whole time going, well, why don't you just do the routine by yourself and not worry about the other people? Because there were two people, in the, and maybe they're the, the trainers or maybe they're the best, I don't know. But there was one guy who was like just stupid good at the stuff. And he had like a solo gig that he would do for part of it. And then there was one girl who was really, really awesome. But she never even had a real solo gig. She kept showing up with these other people. Um, so the fire show, eh, 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 you know, you're already there, you're sitting down, so I guess whatever. But the fireworks, dude, you stay for the fireworks. I don't care. You go to the Ren Fen here in Plantersville and everything, South Texas, whatever, Southeast Texas here. You stick around for that fireworks show. It is fantastic. I mean, they they don't play. They just sit there and just inundate you with fireworks for like 20 minutes. 20 minutes of amazing fireworks. It was fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I've i only been to the Renaissance Festival once, and it was for the Halloween night, like whichever one they do closest to Halloween. And I thought that was kind of mm-hmm. cool, pretty festive. You see a lot of people wearing things that you don't want to see. That was that was true this weekend too. Even though it was Pirate Weekend, uh, there were people dressed as fairies. There were people dressed as genies. There were people dressed as mermaids. There was one gentleman who was really rocking the aerial mermaid action. What did his wife go as? I couldn't tell, but what I did notice, okay, and is that people just kind of let it all hang out. They don't care if they're fit. They don't care if they're wayfish. They don't care if they're anorexic. They don't care if they are obese, morbidly so, whatever. There's just people, they just want to let it hang out. And they do. And the Texas, apparently the Texas Renaissance Festival is where they do that. And you want to tell them no, that that's not acceptable. But, I mean, you're going to take away the one time a year they get to dress like that. No, I'm not going to do that. But it's, yeah, that you, you definitely see things you don't want to see, <laughs> even when it's not Halloween at the Renaissance Festival. <sighs> the one thing that, that gets me, the, the one thing that gets me is that even though the weather was pretty darn good, especially for the greater southeastern Texas, Houston area, when you think of hot weather here in Texas, these people, there's tons of people who are wearing full on, you know, 13th, 14th century garb. Sure. I mean, the, the whole heavy duty, uh, dress and bodice and people wearing the full leathers and all. And I'm like, how the hell are you not dead? I mean, I just, I don't get that. That's the one thing I don't get. Like, that's why I, when pe- there are the people who let it all hang out, I'm like, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I don't agree necessarily on a fashion perspective, but at least that makes sense. When you're completely dressed up in like 16 layers of clothes and they're heavy wool clothes, I'm like, yeesh. I don't know. Anyway, we went off on a tangent. So, how's your SO? <laughs> There's a... How's the how's the fully upgraded SO doing? Fine. Tim, we we have our uh, we have our couple's uh, bodice fittings this weekend. <laughs> she gets the bodice, you get the cod piece. Uh pretty much, yeah. And okay. we're, we're only wearing okay. those. Ah, excellent and nothing else. Outstanding. All right. Well, now that we've managed to 
kill all this time, as well as the waning interest of anyone who was listening. Would you like to talk about some movies? We should. <laughs> movies that have nothing at all to do with chili, <laughs> renaissance festivals, bodices. I don't think there's a single bodice in any of these movies. Nope, not this time. There are some bods. There are some bods, and there's a lack of bodice, uh, for sure, because we're still doing Invisible Man stuff. Oh, I thought you were part. referencing, like, Hollow Man and the invisible like nipple caressing and sucking nope sucking all right well then here we go folks it's the movie we all right so Looks like we've got four movies to cover for you. Uh, let's see. Two of them I saw, and then two of them Tim saw. Now, whether or not we'd ever seen any of these movies before uh, is irrelevant. Uh, it's just I'm going to talk about two of them, and Tim's going to talk about two of them. So uh, the four movies we have to discuss, in no particular order, because in true professional fashion, Tim and I did not discuss ahead of time how this was going to go we talked about a whole lot of other stuff but we didn't talk about this so we got uh, uh let's see we have got memoirs of an invisible man from 1992 we've got hollow man from 2000 we have invisible avenger from 1958 and we have the unseen from 2016 um now you might recall there was a third movie in there uh, in the potential movies we were going to see but obviously we dropped it. So those are the four movies we're covering. I am going to be doing, uh, at some point, Memoirs of an Invisible Man and The Unseen. Tim will be doing Hollow Man and Invisible Avenger from 1958. Um, not to be confused with The Invisible Avenger from 1954. <laughs> Which is more of an Invisible Man movie. Oh, embarrassing. I guess... How do you want to do them? I, I I don't know if Memoirs of an Invisible Man is, if it's the same with you as Hollow Man is with me. Um, like, Hollow Man was really my first introduction, like, proper introduction to the Invisible Man movies. Because up until Hollow Man came out, I, I mean, I knew of Claude Rains' Invisible Man, but I had never seen it. So I think maybe we should do uh, Memoirs in Hollow first and then move on to our our elder films mainly because i i don't know what else i can talk about with my elder pick <laughs> right but, but except except memoirs is my elder pick oh well i mean you know <laughs> i meant what i meant we're just gonna start we're just gonna start with memoirs yeah we sure can start with yeah. memoirs yeah. all right ladies <laughs> and gentlemen Memoirs of an Invisible Man. It all started on a Tuesday in March. If George hadn't introduced me to Alice... Let's not do anything cheap and meaningless. Okay, what do I owe you? If she hadn't been so spectacular, maybe I wouldn't have gotten so loaded that night. Ten minutes. I'll be as good as new. None of this would have happened. 
Something's happened at the Magnoscopics facility in Santa Mira. Next thing I knew, I went from high profile to no profile. What have they done to me? Wait a minute, who are you guys? Keep your mouth shut, all of you. You're in a state of molecular flux. If you want to live, you're going to have to trust us. Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. I'm here. Sort of. I want my molecules back! Now there's a price in my head. The single most exotic intelligence asset on the planet is ours. I don't sleep well. I can see through my eyelids, I can see through the top of my head. But I'll never sell out. Think of the adventure we could have together. Yeah, we can go to frontier land. Don't be afraid. It's me, Nick. You want to sit down? If not for Alice... We're the only people that can give you your life back. I'd be lost forever. You have a face again. You don't have any body makeup, do you? Dropped about 10 pounds. Bet I'd look great naked. Alice, go away! She saw me through it all. I got him. Chevy Chase. Morning. Morning. Daryl Hannah. Boy, how am I going to tell my mom about this? Just tell her you met a guy. Could be serious. He's transparent. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. A John Carpenter film. This, of course, is the 1992 American comedy science fiction film. It's directed by John Carpenter and stars Chevy uh, Chevy Chase, Daryl Hannah, Sam Neill, Michael McKeon, and Stephen Tobolowsky. Um, it is loosely based on a 1987 novel uh, by a gentleman, uh, the name of H.F. Saint from 1987, uh, again called Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Um, the thing was, is that I actually did not look into the book itself, but I did look into the production of this movie because this is something that I hadn't looked into before. I remember moderately enjoying this movie back in the nineties when I first watched it. Um, Going back and watching it again uh, this last week, um, turns out not so much. Now, I am a sucker for Chevy Chase movies. I have always enjoyed uh, the movies that he's been in for the most part. Yeah, everybody's got you know ups and downs and what have you. And unfortunately for Chevy Chase, he has... He has seemingly a somewhat deserved reputation for being difficult. And this movie kind of encapsulates the, the problem with Chevy Chase. This movie was spearheaded by him. He, he was in, immediately interested in the script back in the late eighties. Um, and was like, wow, what an interesting story. I think that I could actually make this work as a vehicle, which actually turned into a somewhat of a bidding war for the time. And it was almost $2 million that, um, uh, I think it was Warner Brothers ended up for it. Yeah, about $1.5 million that uh, Warner Brothers paid for the film rights. Um, they had gotten someone to do the script, Unfortunately, it was someone who was more familiar with Chevy Chase through the comedic side. Well, it turns out that Chevy Chase wanted to use this as a bridge into serious acting. He didn't want to just do comedic acting anymore. And so he rejects the script. Uh, by the time it gets back to Ivan Reitman, who was the original director, that Chevy Chase is not going to do a funny film. He's going to do a serious film with comedic elements. Reitman's like, you know, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. 
Um, so they now have to look for a director. The script is going back for rewrites. Eventually, John Carpenter comes on board, but he doesn't even really want to do it because he's in the middle of a fight over They Live. Uh, Chevy Chase is like, no, come on, you can do it. John Carpenter's like, well, okay, fine. Then the studio says no, because John Carpenter is a horror director. And then Chevy Chase starts throwing his weight around and convinces the studio to bring on John Carpenter. So now you've gone through these rewrites, you're bringing different writers in. Chevy Chase is trying to drive the project. We've had to change directors midstream. So by the time you actually get this movie filmed, it's virtually nothing like the book, which, I mean, take it or leave it. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. And you're left with this movie that was in some ways almost shot twice because the VFX actually used a special rigging system that had to come in after the actors left. So they had to film the scene, get everything done, then come back, redress it, reset it, and then have this rig come in, the VFX rig come in, and then do all the Invisible Man stuff. What you're left with is a light-hearted, I guess a light-hearted drama about a guy who's disconnected from life, who needs to find a way back. Um, and that man is, of course, Nick Holloway, played by Chevy Chase. He kind of meets and has an attraction, attraction to uh, Alice, who's played by Daryl Hannah. Um, due to a, just the craziest accident, um, that causes an explosion, he's turned invisible through some random formula thing. Um, cause he's like a stock trader, but I guess the company that he works for has also a lab division or whatever. And so one of the doctors from the lab spills his stuff into his coffee and, he drinks the formula stuff and then there's an explosion and the debris disappears, which is how they realize there's a problem. And of course he's disappeared too. enter Sam Neill's character of David Jenkins, who is a CIA agent. And he's like, Oh, um, let's see what we got. And they end up finding poor Nick and then put him into a, uh, ambulance. Well, Nick comes too. Of course, he's invisible. And here he is able to listen to everybody in the van or the ambulance, whatever it was. And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be a lab rat forever. Meanwhile, Jenkins is like, oh, no, no, we're going to make him into a spy because he's invisible. This will be perfect. Well, Nick, of course, runs away. Shenanigans ensue. And the movie goes on from there um the here's the thing so as as well thought out as the visual effects are and as well shot and i mean the cinematography is pretty darn decent overall too it's uh william fraker does the cinematography in this film the direction's not bad i think the problem is the story is really really weak um because it was Chevy Chase getting everything that Chevy Chase wanted. Uh, and it shows. I mean, the movie has a $40 million budget, all because of Chevy Chase and everything that happened. And then due to the story being so incredibly weak and so incredibly 
mundane, even for what it was trying to do, there's just not really that much to watch. Um, it's not really funny. Um, it's, it's humorous. I, I'm not going to say that it's not humorous. It is humorous. It's just not truly funny. It's just where they think they're being clever, they're really just being watchable. And that's not exactly what you need out of a film like this. The movie flopped. Um, it was not a commercial success. It was not a critical success. And its box office take was a little over $14 million. Um, and <laughs> down the path we went with Chevy Chase. I, I really think that if Chevy Chase had left the story alone and just simply looked for a fully dramatic vehicle instead of trying to create one out of a gimmick, he might have had more success. I don't know that we'll ever, we'll ever find that out, especially now, but it does seem to be that his tinkering with this caused more problems than it was worth. Uh, myself, I, I give it a two and a half. It's it's really an okay movie. It's not a bad movie. The problem is it's just not really a good movie either. Um, special effects, especially for the time, are worth checking out. And um, I, I'll even give the doggedness of David Jenkins, played by Sam Neill. You know, I'll give I'll give that a plus. I'll, I, I would give that as a plus. Uh, he plays a good bad guy in this movie. Just n nothing really worth salvaging there so 2.5 out of 5 and that's my take on memoirs of an invisible man i actually saw that movie for the first time last week i've been wanting to see it for years i've had it on my official sls cast ideas list uh for like a three squared or was it worthy or whatever for many 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 years so I uh, thought this would have been a great opportunity. I basically wanted to talk about the Invisible Man films so we could actually get to memoirs of an Invisible Man to give me a reason to watch it. And I will say this, that it was completely worth it because the effects are amazing. And what I appreciate more than the actual film itself is that you see him eating the food and you're, you see the food being digested and you see like the, in, in all the other films, everything that enters the body disappears uh, right away. Except with the first film, they say like, well, I need time to digest to hide everything that's going on in my body, but you never actually see anything digesting in the first film. Every other movie, they make no mention of it. You see people eating, you see people smoking and it's all invisible right when it goes inside and in, into the character's mouth. In this film, you see puke. You see the lungs filling up with cigarette smoke. Actually, it's cool. It's really neat. I thoroughly enjoyed just seeing all the cool inventive ways they utilize this early 3D mapping. Even as scary as as Chevy Chase's face, when you only see his face with that makeup on, <laughs> it's cool still. I mean, it, it was 1992. I mean, they came a long way eight years later with Hollow Man, I'll say that. When you get done with Hollow Man, there's one scene I've always loved about that movie that um, we'll talk about. So, anyway, 
Yeah. Well, at least I'm glad you finally got a chance to see it. So, I mean, now, now that you knocked it out, I guess, I don't know. So, I mean, I know that we're not doing official ratings on the ones we didn't officially cover, but did, did you like it more than I did, I guess? Uh, 2.5. No, it's not a good movie. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, okay. Well, well, there you go. It's a, it's a movie where kind of like what you said, it could have been great. It could have been good if it was well thought out. I think John Carpenter would have been a great direct, was a great choice to direct it. And there's hints of really cool ideas. Like when he wakes up after that explosion happens and that building is like partially invisible. So it has this really cool, like abstract design and look to it. I thought all that was really neat and and really creepy, but there is a weird jumbled tone where he was kind of a dick playboy. Somebody you didn't want to root for, but then you felt bad for him because he was kind of sad, but then he was still a dickish, horn dog kind of like just chevy chase it was just like chevy chase (laughs) indeed uh all right well then uh yeah well then take it away to hollow man sir hollow man is a film which came out in the year 2000 directed by paul verhoeven uh this is his follow-up to starship troopers which came out in 1997 starship troopers i find it's a great film didn't break the box office so he wanted to produce a movie that that wasn't too gory, overly sexualized, which is why you only see invisible nipple sucking, you know, once, you know. I mean, there's still plenty of sex in the movie, but you really you don't see anything. I mean, you don't see too much, I should say. But he was wanting to scale things back uh with Hollow Man. But what he doesn't scale back are the awesome special effects. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Ed. Your team's in early today. Something special going on? Sorry, Ed. You know the rules. If we're gonna move forward, this is the next logical step. I'm ready for you. Are you sure? Positive. There goes nothing. Sebastian? Are you in here? So, what's it like being a ghost? Ghosts are dead. I'm very much alive. The question is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't be seen? You trust your eyes. You rely on your senses. Sebastian, this is not funny. You think you're alone. Why did you have to go out in public? You have no idea what it's like. The power of it, the freedom. It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to look at yourself in the mirror anymore. Okay, Sebastian, fun's over. Tell us where you are. Sorry, Linda. You'll never be sure again. He could be here. He could be anywhere. There's more to fear than you can see. You have no idea how much fun this is. When this movie came out, I could not wait to rent it. I was 12 years old when it was released. Let's see, it, uh, August 4th, 2000. Yeah, so I was 12. So by the time it was released on a DVD, I was pushing 12 and a half. And this was definitely one of those movies where my dad woke me up on Saturday morning, told me I had to watch this film. 
went downstairs, watched it, and I fell in love with it. And and nobody else really liked it. For years, I would talk to people about Hollow Man, and they'd immediately criticize Kevin Bacon. They'd immediately criticize what they called a hokey story. Um, they didn't really care about Sebastian, Kevin Bacon's character, because he was a playboy, uh, over-sexualized, and he ends up becoming rapey once he does become invisible. But of course, that's not the point of the movie. You're not supposed to like him. You're not supposed to root for him. He is the villain of the film. He reaches a clear PNR, point of no return, to where the audience just doesn't care about him. They want to see him die. Hollow Man, according to Wikipedia, is a 2000 science fiction horror film directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Kevin Bacon, Elizabeth Shue, and Josh Brolin, a story inspired by H.G. Wells' novel The Invisible Man. Bacon portrays the titular character, a scientist, who volunteers to be the first human test subject for an invisibility serum. When his fellow scientists are unable to restore him back to normal, he eventually becomes violently insane and goes on a killing spree. Uh, the film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects in 2001. However, it lost to Gladiator. Um, the film did spawn a direct-to-video standalone sequel called Hollow Man 2 with Christian Slater. When it comes to adaptions, I thought this film really nails it. Paul Verhoeven makes entertaining movies. He makes entertaining movies where maybe they're more thought-provoking, where you least expect it. Starship Troopers. I loved that film since it first came out in 97 or 98. That was a film that I watched, uh, I was probably too young, but I, I loved it because it was practical effects. And it had a really interesting social commentary. It seemed like nobody really understood the social commentary amongst my friends until five years ago when movies from the late 90s became popular and have been discussed in you know film circles with respect. Hollow Man is what I like to call a practical special effects movie. Kevin Bacon is invisible for most of this film. However, Kevin Bacon had to be on set even when he was invisible. Why, do you ask? The character still speaks. The character still puts on clothing, eats, it holds up props, it maneuvers, it opens up doors, it, uh, it covers up with blankets. So these clothes and these blankets and these props, some of them, take the shape of Kevin Bacon, especially water, either from the swimming pool when he jumps in it or the sprinklers. That liquid takes his shape. So, of course, when his face is covered with water, covered with blood, it's got to look like Kevin Bacon. Also, when the character is using these props, it has to be Kevin Bacon as the character using these props. Mannerisms come to play. And th those are the type of things when you don't actually see the physical component. You know, when you don't see the physical body, the audience needs to associate something else with that character. And mannerisms are a great component for an audience to latch on to. If you haven't seen this movie, do check it out. 
people call it overly gory. By today's standards, I wouldn't consider it overly gory at all. There's Robocop gory and there's Hollow Man gory. The regeneration scenes, as well as the going invisible scenes, are freaking stellar. Everything down to capturing gorilla and human anatomy is incredibly impressive to watch. Like, you start seeing the veins and the tendons and the blood flowing, the lungs forming, and everything had to be as scientifically correct as possible. And if it wasn't up to Paul Verhoeven, it probably wouldn't have been that detailed. And that's another reason why I love Paul Verhoeven flicks. He is incredibly detailed. He thinks about the story. He thinks about the action. He thinks about the setups and the payoffs, which are incredibly important. Those are the type of things that we got a lot in the 1990s and we lost in the late 2000s. Hollow Man is a wonderful film. I give it a four out of five. Uh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I rented it on Netflix a couple weeks ago, watched it twice, then I watched it a third time, but with the director's commentary, and absolutely blows me away still. So, really quickly, my favorite scene in that movie, because it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody do that, was when they used the super glue and the duct tape on the wound, when Elizabeth Shue take, takes that wound on What's-His-Face, and, like, literally... He's like super glue and then duct tapes it all closed. Oh, with Josh Brolin? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the hell are they? I'm like, that's never going to come off. And, and sure enough, that's like legit. Like if, if you've got, if you don't have access to surgical staples and you don't have access to, and you have got to get something closed, you can use super glue on the wound and you can literally use duct tape over it too. I was like, that is unbelievable. So. I just thought that that's always been fascinating to me. And I also, for whatever it's worth, I know it's kind of stupid and it's not, I don't know. I don't feel like it's very well done in the film. I always like when you see Kevin Bacon's character, actually, you see, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, when you get to be along for the ride for when Kevin Bacon finally turns and like you said, you know, he gets rapey and he's like, don't even think about it. And then he's like, yeah, but who's going to tell? And I always like that because it's that it's at that point that you can finally just say, OK, I don't have to like this guy anymore. And like you can feel bad for his predicament. But at the same time, they definitely show that process. And so anyway, and yeah, Elizabeth so that, Shue is great in the movie, too. Like she kicks ass. She does. I dig it. Uh, you know, but then again, I've always, she's been one of my Hollywood crushes for a long time. So she was a shoe in for you. You can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have to start this dad shit early, you know? <laughs> I guess so. But uh, um, I'm happy to give lessons. It's fine. There's nothing else I can tell you what not to do. So let's see. So we've done two of the movies. So now we have Invisible Avenger and The Unseen. Are we trading off again, or would you like to go ahead and wrap up? <sighs> yeah, I'll wrap mine up. So, I forgot if you mentioned this earlier or not. There is Invisible Avenger, which is the film that I watched, and there is The Invisible Avenger, 
which is the actual adaption, whatever, of The Invisible Man. Uh, it's a Japanese film that came out in 1954. That's what I originally had on my list, but I think the the picture of the clown on the movie poster threw me off, and I went with 1958's The Invisible Avenger, directed by James Wong Ho, uh, Ben Parker, and maybe somebody else? I, I know it's um, technically two episodes of a TV show that never got picked up, and one of the episodes is directed by the cinematographer, if I remember correctly. But according to Wikipedia, I'm sorry, folks, but if you want me to get through this, especially telling you what the story is about, I have to read it off. Uh, via wikipedia.com, the plot summary for Invisible Avenger. Pablo Ramirez is an expatriate from the Caribbean nation of Santa Cruz that is under control of a military dictator called the Generalismo. From New Orleans, Ramirez plots a revolution in his return to Santa Cruz. To assist in this and to protect him from the Santa Cruz secret police who are in New Orleans, he seeks the help of Lamont Cranston through a mutual friend, jazz trumpeter Tony Alcade. In the <laughs> these names are killing me. In the midst of a telephone call to Cranston, Tony is murdered by the secret police. Cranston and his metaphysical mentor, Jogandra, or Jogandria, Jogandra, come to New Orleans to bring Tony's murderers to justice and freedom to Santa Cruz. Though no one knows the identity of the crime-fighting troubleshooter, the Shadow, who has telepathic powers, everyone knows that he can be contacted for help through Lamont Cranston. As Cranston protects Pablo from secret police assassination and kidnapping attempts, the Generalismo broadcasts the execution of Pablo's twin brother that is shown on television in the United States in a scheme to draw Pablo into the open. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah, in this film, you actually see an execution, which is pretty shocking for a film that came out on, you know, in 1958. But for those of you who haven't picked up on this yet, this, of course, has nothing to do with the Invisible Man. But the Shadow does have telekinetic powers and can go invisible. The Shadow originally was uh, a series of pulp novels, or it was a character that, that popped up in a series of pulp novels in the late 20s, early 30s, I believe. Uh, and then, uh, 1931 it says, a literary character in 1931. And then the movie serials and on TV. So there have been a whole slew of different versions of the Shadow character, even as recent as the early to mid-1990s starring uh, Alec Baldwin. I believe that's based on the same character. That's kind of all I got. It's a 60-minute pilot for a TV show that was turned into a movie. There's not much to say about the special effects because, I mean, he goes invisible and pencils move and a Rolodex gets flipped through. Exciting. A big highlight of the film is getting to see New Orleans because the sh the movie, excuse me, the show slash movie was shot all on location in New Orleans. So it's always fun to see, you know, a city that you're familiar with from a different perspective in time. For a detective story, it's relatively entertaining for a 19, late 1940s pulpy entertainment. 
I don't know if I should even rate the Invisible Avenger. I mean, I learned a lot about the character of the Shadow. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't just call it the Shadow. I believe the original title of it was like the Shadow of New Orleans or the Bayou Shadow or or, or something like that. I guess with this TV show, they're attempting to base the character more off of the original pulp character. I don't You know, if you're interested in it, um, the Invisible Avenger from 1958 is, in fact, in the public domain. If you want to check it out, just Google, you know, just don't Google the Invisible Avenger 1954, or you might end up with the proper Invisible Avenger movie, um, which clearly I... You know, I, I did not. I give it a three. For, <laughs> what did I say earlier? I give it a three for... Three for effort. Three for effort. There you go. Yes, three for effort. Three for attempting. All right. Well, then, let me talk about... Let me go ahead and jump into my final movie. This is uh, 2016's The Unseen. Let's go. First part's easy. Small package, take it with, drop it off. And on your way back, you're bringing a little something-something for me. Bob? What do you want, darling? She hasn't seen you in eight years. I want to see a ghost. So, you in? Why wouldn't you go to an abandoned mental hospital? I'm going. I want you to be her father. If you can't forgive him, what do you expect your daughter will do? Forget me. My grandfather was here. This place is supposed to be haunted. Is Eva here? She didn't come home last night. Do I have to come down there, Bob? To your house? Look at yourself. You can't pass out there much longer. I have to find her. There's an old man who's crazy or hers. It's my dog. What do you know about young girls who go missing around here? Dad, I'm in here! What are you? I don't know. Where are you going, Bob? 2016... They, they label this as a psychological horror film. Uh, it is directed by Jeff Redknapp. He is actually a guy who's done a lot of VFX for a lot of TV shows and movies that you've heard of or seen. Uh, movies include uh, Deadpool. So it's definitely stuff that uh, you are aware of for this guy. Uh, it's his directorial debut. And what we have are... Um, it's a movie stars Aiden Young, Camille Sullivan, Julie, Julia Sarah Stone, and Ben Cotton. Um, Aiden Young plays a guy by the name of Bob Longmore, uh, who was a one time attempting to be a hockey star who ends up getting a mysterious condition that he refuses to tell anybody about. And leaves his, and just ultimately leaves his family. You, of course, don't know this because they choose to start the movie off with this guy just living alone, being a lonely guy who works at a lumber mill 
in a small fading away lumber mill town in BC in Canada. Uh, and then the story kind of unfolds over time and it turns out that he has a mysterious illness that is causing him to disappear. Except he's literally disappearing in portions. And so it's very painful for him because you can see like his organs are exposed in some areas, his skin's peeling away in other areas. He's completely invisible in other areas. So very creepy. He did leave his family, as I said. So his ex-wife calls and is like, listen, our daughter's kind of going through some shit. I can't figure out what the hell's going on with her. I need your help. He's like, nah, you're better off without me. But then he decides to change his mind. And then he goes off. Uh, he does, however, because of the pain and the fact that he's run away from everybody, I guess he's turned to drugs and alcohol to get him through the day. And shenan through some early shenanigans, he is basically turned into a mule so that he can have the means to go and try and figure out what the hell is going on with his family. Further shenanigans ensue, and all is not revealed. Uh, I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but all is not truly revealed in this movie. Um, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to try and give this movie a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that maybe somehow, and Tim and I did talk about this in pretty great detail uh, early on for show prep. I'm going to, I'm going to put this on the encoding. The sound is terrible in this movie. You can barely make out what people are saying, uh, no matter what settings you're using. No ma I mean, it's, it's definitely on the movie. Um, whether or not it's the true sound design of the film or if it was encoding, I don't know, but I'm willing to lean into encoding mainly because when I finally just broke down and turned on the damn captions, after a certain point, the captions started getting like four seconds ahead of the physical dialogue you see on screen. So it kind of gets more wonky. Um, so we'll, we'll just leave it, I guess, at that in terms of the sound design. Um, so it, so it affects that. I will say that sound designer, no, the first 30, 35 minutes of this movie are so dreadfully slow. And something that was pointed out in some of the reviews that I went and then subsequently looked at after watching the movie tonight, uh, because yes, I did watch this movie just this evening. It's the 21st as we record. Uh, was that is that Jeff Redknapp, as I mentioned, was a VFX guy. And so while the VFX you see are very, very good for the vast majority of the movie, they're extremely limited. Almost as if this guy was trying to say, no, look, I'm a real director. I'm not just trying to do this to be, you know, splashy with VFX. And I can applaud that effort. But at the same time, maybe that leads to why the movie is so slow. I do also feel like while setting up the idea that this guy has isolated himself and is slowly trying to put himself out of his misery in one way or another, and the drugs and alcohol play a part in that uh, due to, you know, covering the pain or just burying yourself in a hole or both or what have you, 
it kind of turns itself into a very, very weak B plot in the film that doesn't need to be there, which tells me that even if you had gotten the story elements better injected into the film overall, that it's still, which is him trying to go after his daughter or whatever. Um, it tells me that the film wasn't strong enough on its own. Or maybe it just wasn't long enough on its own. I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, given that the movie has a runtime of 105 minutes. So you could have easily cut 15 to 20 minutes out of this movie and still had solid feature length. Um, there's also, while there are some form and fashions of revelations, and again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might see it, um, they don't explain everything and I don't think it's meant in a way to be thought provoking. I think it's just, it's just kind of unfinished, I guess, you know, and so you can kind of look at this in an artistic way of kind of being like, is, if, is this a metaphor for depression? Is this a metaphor? If you want to kind of explore that avenue, I think there's more to find in the movie. But I don't think you should have to work that hard to, to, to find it. I think that if you're gonna have something that is a metaphor, then it needs to be easily digestible. Um, and, and if you want to have something that has a hidden metaphor, then I think you need to make it entertaining up front so that you're enjoying the movie for what it is and then can discover the metaphor as you move forward or through discussion or through research. Um, and then you go, oh, wow, mind blown. I need to watch that again and see what I missed. And that doesn't happen here. So... I would say if you're willing to give this movie a shot, see if you can track it down on Blu-ray. Do not do... I did it through Amazon Prime. It is a Prime uh, deal, so it's free to stream. But I don't know. Give it... A, if you're willing to give this movie a chance, um, then I would say try and track down a Blu-ray. Um, other than that, I don't know. I'm going to give this one a two and a half. I, I cannot say that it's a bad film. I don't necessarily want to say that I truly didn't like it overall. But sound issues aside, that first 30 to 35 minutes of the movie is just too damn slow. So two and a half is where I end on it. And I hope that I didn't bore you into being unseen with all of that. Wait, so you can say the unseen thing but i couldn't have said a shoe in for elizabeth's shoe mainly because mine wasn't so dreadfully obvious as a pun whatever <laughs> oh my god shut the so... shoe up you son of a shoe <laughs> shoe 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 what's that i couldn't unseen you so the next week i guess we've got uh halloween horror cast seven climbing on board don't we yes and and speaking of buttholes i see we have a whole segment reserved for the return of satan yeah um some of the films that we have you know i'd like to know if satan's walked with a zombie if he had a fall at the house of usher if he felt a little repulsed or if he's or he was if he was ever diaboliqued exactly i've been diaboliqued at least three times <laughs> 
Uh, well, I'm sure we'll find out uh, how that goes next week. And hopefully you'll be caught up with Satan, too. I guess without further ado, then, we are down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on! You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NetTwit12345. You can, of come aboard that information to Brian and track down Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old Spotify and Google Play and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to Patreon.com and check us out over there. And so until next week, this is Matt saying the thanks to Kevin Bacon. I get to say this. I have a natural swagger. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>